What is up, guys? Welcome to another episode of Los Caballos del Norte podcast. And this is, I mean, first of all, this is, of course, your host, Caballo Suarez. And today I am joined by Zach. Zach, some words, some uh, welcoming words. Uh, what's up, everybody? You can uh, find me on Twitter at Fronteriza Foot, and I've just been covering FC Juarez since their inception back in 2015, 16, whenever that was. And <laughs> so, how, yeah, how, happy to be how, here. How's that been so far, covering them and kind of going through the ups and downs? Because I'm fairly new to this game. I'm a, I'm a rookie, but uh, I know you're one of our seasoned vets in, in FC Juarez uh, English content. I mean, I think that this whole experience has been... First and foremost, it's been eye-opening to kind of see how the sport works from the inside and how the structure of a club is and all of that stuff. And then to watch it from the ground up is, I think, something that's a really unique opportunity that we have because there's not many teams that start start up out of the blue and then you just have the opportunity to watch them grow and progress. And I think recently this past season or this past year has been amazing since I finally got uh, certified as a member of the press. So I was able to cover the games from the stadium um, have access to coaches, players, things I didn't have previously. And so that was a really amazing experience to be a part of. Awesome. Awesome. Well, uh, I guess that's a perfect segue to our first uh, topic and, and for the opening for today's episode, as I like to call the Gallup. Um, and we're going to talk about the social media blunders, uh, embarrassment. Uh, I don't know what you'd like to call it. Uh, I know uh, Zach and I on uh, on the DMs have gone back and forth, just kind of roasting uh, FC Juarez uh, social media. But I think it's something that has to be done when we compare it to other teams in the top flight and something more, especially when we compare it to the team in El Paso that is owned by the same ownership group that is in, you know, no world that is supposed to be compared to what FC Juarez and the quality that they have, because it's USL soccer and Liga MX soccer. And they're just, they shouldn't even be in the same cafeteria, let alone, let alone the same table. And, and Locomotive has better coverage. And Locomotive has better content and keeps their fans in the loop. I, you know, I, I know from, uh, from our uh, brothers in uh, Seriously Loco and all of those guys that, you know, they, they have a, a fair good amount of coverage of the team. The team keeps them in the loop. And... It's something that, that truly, I think, gets both of us riled up just because we are here and, and we see it. So uh, I'm gonna let, I already had my little rant. I'm going to let you go ahead and, and go for it. I, I mean, first and foremost, it's absolutely ridiculous the way that the social media is run. But I think that more so than anything else is the lack of let, – let's take a look back and just, just think about signing. So when FSA Juarez signs people, you never see anything until they are presented, until the day that they're presented holding a jersey. You never hear about contact with them. You never hear about the signings. You maybe get a couple of words from them in a low-quality YouTube video, if you're lucky, that they might publish on social media. But there's never any graphics. There's never anything hyping up the players or talking about them or what they might offer to the team. And I think a perfect example is of something that we, that you just mentioned right now was um, the locomotive stuff. So locomotive signed FSC Juarez legend Eder Borelli today, and they had a whole graphic. They had a whole press release prepared. They showed highlights of him. They talked about all of these things and his impact here. And then you go and look at FSC Juarez's page, and it took him five weeks to even acknowledge that he wasn't re-signing and to post a 
semi-heartfelt goodbye type of thing. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and I feel like not only that, but were the graphics from the goodbye all stock. So every single player that wasn't going to be returning for this upcoming season got the exact same goodbye post. And if they were lucky, they got a YouTube video like Carrico and Borelli. But really, just posting a link to the YouTube video, like they couldn't even get the video to play or they couldn't even format it for the certain social media networks, I think is ridiculous. The fact that you can't even take the video from the YouTube format and format it in a way that it would be able to be uploaded directly onto Twitter or Facebook and said, all you get is a little, little tiny link that you have to follow through on. And I think it's, something it's, else. It's some that, professional. Yeah, it's it's some professional, and and it's something that we've talked about how um, there's very easy ways to uh, circumvent having to just put a link, or I mean, there's very easy ways that you and I have talked about where you can simply just straight up, you know, free high quality stuff that you can do that'll exponentially make the 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 account better, and and it doesn't really take a lot of hard work. No, and, and I think speaking on that unprofessionalism, you just have to look back to this past week on Facebook where FC Juarez went after a fan page on Facebook who posted a post that turned out to not be true but looked like it was a tr- related to the Copa Telcel preseason tournament about Dario Lescano potentially signing with Leon. Yeah. So they make this post, and instead of saying that, no, that wasn't happening or anything of that sort, FC Juarez comes out and attacks the fan page and basically drags them across the mud. I mean, sure, it was kind of funny to see it happen, but at the same time, yeah. it's it's not professional and it's not something that a professional sports team should be doing. Well, in, in terms of how they dragged that fan account, uh, you know, how you said across the floor, um, they were making fun of uh, ever since Juarez moved up to the top flight. Uh, and we're talking about Bravo fan on, Twi- on uh, Facebook which uh, for any of you guys who uh, are bilingual and want to get some Spanish content, I, I highly recommend going and giving their page a like because they are amazing. But um, they, had, they, had been, they had been promoting since, ever since the team moved up, that there was this big bomb signing, right? And that, and that it, was it, was... A Portu- and it was a Portuguese player. They always put the Portuguese flag, right? <laughs> so essentially what the club does is they call him out on it and put the put the put the flag emoji so when i first saw it i was like oh damn like okay like pretty cool but as you said they're hating on a fan page that consistently puts out better content than they do and and not even that but if you want to look for like carrijo and borelli videos el cartel posted posted some videos that were actually heartfelt and better than anything than than what the team actually did and when you're talking about club legends i mean Come on, like just a link to a YouTube video, just a small video. I mean, you've seen how big clubs in Mexico have said goodbye to the players who have been there and cemented themselves. A whole press, and I understand press conferences maybe are out of the picture right now, but a whole video and and just a whole type of press day to sort of release everything on your social media, what they mean. But instead, as you pointed out, you know, they got the same template goodbye that. I mean, you're telling me that Eder Borelli and Leandro Corijo are going to get the same gracias message as Manuel Viniegra got? Like, <laughs> like, come on now. Like, let's have some respect. And this is all just tying into what, what Zach and I believe, that the social media mm-hmm. presence in terms of on Facebook, on YouTube, on social media can be done way better. I mean, Zach and I have said that 
we could run it better ourselves if they just give us a phone and a Photoshop tool, you know? And it, it's bad. It's it's really bad, and I think it's time that uh, we called them out on it. And, and if you're listening, we're calling you out. It's bad. I mean, and, and just that doesn't even look into it from the press perspective because the press releases that get sent out ever so often via email are some of the strangest most unprofessional looking things I've seen. It basically is just a list with some, maybe one or two quotes and a video linking to where those two or three quotes came from. And it's never anything substantial. It'll be like, okay, well today we're gonna interview Enrique Palos. So let's just send some quotes that Enrique Palos said about training and we're gonna include that in a press release. Okay, well, does anyone who follows the team really care what Enrique Palos said? about how training was going. And that was all rumors had been swirling that the team was training. So they didn't even talk about anything of that nature. It was just, oh yeah, we're back to training and it's been good. That was basically the extent of what he said. And they sent that out as a press release only after people had called them out for not producing any content related to training or what was going on or what was happening. And that's been a continuous thing. And that doesn't even include some of the mishaps that happened with FC Juarez Femenil, who used to send out press releases, but so f- as far as I'm aware, haven't sent one out in a really long time, or maybe they removed me from the list. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but what I do know is in one of their press releases, instead of having undisclosed recipients, they literally linked every single person's email address that was on their listserv. Oh, my so, gosh. So you could have reached out and contact. I mean, not that that's necessarily a bad thing if you're trying to grow support for your team, but really, you just disclosed the entire email addresses of everyone that's been following the team or everyone that you've certified as the press. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yes, it's it's stuff like that 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 really makes us uh uh pretty mad and and pretty embarrassed of how it's run. But um, I feel like it's time that we show some mercy and <laughs> and and kind of uh, move on to the episode because for the casual FC Juarez fan, the social media presence uh, probably isn't what they're concerned about. And and I feel like now it's time to get into the actual team and uh, what it is that's happened. So uh, I took I took the week off last week in terms of this podcast, but I thought it was a great opportunity to preview uh, the Copa del Cel, what's going on with the team, what we can talk about. Uh, and, and Zach will have some input on that. But first of all, we'll talk about uh, Juarez switching uh, television rights. So, uh, as far as what we know, when Juarez was trying to buy Lobos, the main point of contention was television rights because Juarez had a contract still with ESPN and Lobos had a contract with Televisa. Obviously, as we now know, Juarez ended up taking that Televisa contract so that they could move up uh, and, and play first division football. Now, that contract has ran up just because it was one more year. And now they're going to be, I think it's open TV, but it's Televisa and Azteca, right? Yeah, from what I've heard, I think that Azteca has the vast majority of rights to their games. But they will also be sharing coverage with Televisa. And I think that from what I've seen right now, although it's just a rumor, is that their games are going to be played on Friday night at 8, eight o'clock. Yep. Which would mean we get Viernes Botanero in La Frontera. Yeah, maybe we get you know the best commentators in uh, in Mexico to come to uh, to come to Juarez to come to the Benito Juarez and, and broadcast some games. But 
I see it as as a good move. Uh, those Sunday those Sunday afternoon games, um, no complaints. Uh, but I just feel like in terms of getting uh, publicity out for the team, I think it's a good move that will, uh, you know, I, I guess get you know. Viernes Guatanero, for example, every two weeks would have a Puebla home game. And there was just people watching that game just because it was Luis Garcia, Martinoli calling the game. And just there and then you get more publicity for a team like Puebla. And I feel like that's the same effect that can happen for Juarez, especially with Juarez having a much higher quality team and having a better fan base in the stadium and just having better quality players. So I think it's a... It's it's a it's an overall win, you know, for the club and and even for the city. I I still think it might. I'm not really sure how it affects U.S. television rights, though, and I think that's part of where. Um, what do you call? It? I think that's part of where the Televisa contract comes into play, because as of right now, I feel like. That might be the way that they're still going to be broadcast in the U.S. would be with Tudene, but I'm not 100% certain on that because I think that the coverage uh, really is a big step down for Azteca in the U.S. compared to Televisa, but I'm yeah. not really sure how the whole rights sharing is going to factor into that. Yeah, I think in the U.S. it'll be it'll be Tudene, which I think for people who follow, follow Juarez... Uh, that aren't in El Paso, it'll be good for them just because uh, it'll be the same that they had the past year. Uh, for us that that live here on the border, you know, if you just hook up an antenna, you can get all of the Mexican channels. Um, so I think it'll be good to get that Viernes uh, Botanero. If you're not at the stadium, to get that Viernes Botanero and kind of get a different, uh, you know, get get. Like, I'm personally a favorite. I, I like I like Luis Garcia and, and Martinoli. I prefer to watch them than than whatever Televisa has to offer. So. I think it'll uh, I think it'll be good and and I really like it because you know they do a fun show and and if you live here on the border and can't get can't go to a game, I definitely recommend buying an buying an antenna, get that uh channel eleven channel twenty and just watch Juarez through Tevasteca because it'll it'll be fun you'll you'll have a good time but um I definitely think it's a good move for Juarez and and I think we concur on that uh, it'll be definitely be interesting to see just how they do it and. And how that happens, it hasn't been confirmed by the team yet. Uh, it was uh, David Medrano who broke the news of, of uh, plenty of teams that that uh, were changing uh, TV providers. But I think it'll be an, an overall good move, and, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out with how the the schedule comes out, which which has been delayed for a while now. Yeah, I think I think so too, and I think that specifically the eight o'clock time frame locally will be good because that'll allow for fans who might work late to actually be able to watch the games since it's more likely than not that there's not going to be fans in the stadium for this upcoming season. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I think with, with that, you know, we can uh, now move into uh, something that's been on the minds of uh, Bravos fans for a while now. And that's the Diego Roland case where uh, we kind of had a deep dive on the last episode on it and kind of went into it uh, later on on the week. Uh, I, I confirm the news that he's going to stay. At least that's all the indications from what I've read and, and information that I've been able to gather is that he'll stay. It's just a matter of time and finalizing some final things. But it, at least on my end, it looks like we're going to have Diego, Diego Roland and Juarez for 
for a while. Yeah, I think I have to concur with that because all signs have been pointing towards um, him saying, especially with what you mentioned when we were talking before the podcast about the salary restrictions and foreigner restrictions that are in place in the Spanish second division, which is where Deportivo La Coruña, who is technically still owned Roland, is playing. And so right now I think they've reached their limit on foreigners and his salary is also too high based on the salary restrictions for them to continue to be able to pay him. And so I think that that's a really good sign for Bravo's fans to look at the logistics and the reality of Roland being able to stay in, in with with Los Bravos. Yeah, and and essentially the main point of contention right now uh, isn't isn't really between Roland and Juarez. It's more of with uh, Roland, I mean Juarez and Deportivo. And uh, Cantu mentioned in uh, Guillermo Cantu mentioned in an interview yesterday that uh, it's it's pretty much up to Deportivo to kind of be accepting of that there was a pre-COVID agreement and that after COVID and just all the financial uh, struggles that that brought that there should be sort of a revision of um, the asking price because as we know that the, the initial option to buy was at $4 million. And from what we've heard uh, by Álvaro Navarro, este, by uh, Gabriel Caballero, Guillermo Cantú, they've all said that you know before all of this happened, that was going to be paid. There was, no, uh, there was no debate about that. It was going to happen. But obviously with COVID and, and just all the financial struggles that that brings on, it's a little harder to pay that quantity. Obviously, they still want Roland on the team, but at a reduced price just because of the struggles that that, uh, that came from the pandemic. Now, from what I've been able to gather, it's a full million less. It's at $3 million, and that it's really up to Deportivo to accept it. Uh, I wouldn't imagine why they wouldn't accept it, just because of all the teams that have been go- going through financial struggles. It's a, it's a quick... Uh, source of income for the team that and especially a team like Deportivo mm-hmm. that may be uh, struggling a little bit more than than most in, in such a uh, competitive uh, soccer country in Spain where you just have so many clubs so like I said it's a matter of, of the deal getting done mm-hmm. it's between Deportivo and Juarez now there is a point of contention between Roland and Juarez which is the release clause uh, Roland or not Roland himself, but his agent wants to have a release clause that allows Roland to leave to Europe uh, in a fairly easy manner. Uh, so that would kind of put us at a low release clause. And Juarez wants to safeguard <clears throat> their investment in Roland and have a release clause that may be a bit higher than what his value actually is. Um, either way, it's just a small point of contention that shouldn't affect that much with the deal getting done, I can imagine that they'll they'll reach they'll reach uh, a compromise there that that fits the needs that Roland's agent has and fits the need that the club wants to have. So, uh, like like Zach and I have said for a while now, it's it's just a matter of time before it gets done. Yeah, and I think that as far as that release clause is concerned, I think that Juarez is just looking to, at the very minimum, recoup the investment that they made in Roland. And not necessarily so much looking to safeguard. While they would like him to be on the team for many seasons to come, I think that it's at least making sure that they recoup whatever amount they invest in the full sale of Roland. Well, yeah, re- recoup and, and but I, I mean, kind of also 
uh, like I said, kind of, uh, you know, because it is a it is it mm-hmm. is a, a big investment in the player to uh, pay out, you know, the three million dollars that they're going to pay out. So obviously recoup the investment, but you don't want to set a release clause that's at that's at five million dollars because there's a lot of clubs in Europe that can pay that release clause. And so I think it's more of a thing of recouping that investment, how you said, and also making mm-hmm. sure that if a team really wants to run, it's at a it's at a it's at a an asking price that allows the club to uh, be able to replace him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Recoup the investment and also replace them in in whatever quantity of ways they they decide to do with that money. So I I think that's yeah. But like we said, it's just a matter of time before it gets done. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, that's kind of like the the that's the Diego Roland update. There really isn't uh much to say on it than what we've previously tweeted out and and talked about in previous podcasts. Uh, Cantu and and you know how we've said the front office has been very adamant in in that they want him back. And that it's not a matter of of the team or of Roland, but it's more of a matter of uh, what Deportivo decides to uh, to accept. So, um, <laughs> all right, now I'm gonna let kind of Zach take the wheel because uh, Zach kind of uh, did on Twitter uh, a whole overview of uh, of an interview uh, Guillermo Cantu did, and Zach, I'm gonna let you take it off, and I'll chime in every now and then. Alrighty, so on July 2nd, Guillermo Cantu gave an interview to Zona Brava MX, which is a local Juarez um, sports media outlet. And so some of the things that he was talking about were the Diego Roland issue, which was talking about how he's still in contract talks with the club and how and the different things about the release clause and what exactly that entailed. The second thing that was brought up in that interview was at the time, he said Gael Sandoval was close to leaving the club, but all signs now point to him returning to Santos after yeah. just a horrendous loan stint with, with Juarez. It didn't look like he wanted to be there. It did not look like he was interested. And with the COVID-19 situation cutting the season short, I think it was best for both Juarez and Sandoval to just sort of cut their losses and move on. And I think that that's something that's really unfortunate for a player who was part of the first season that FSA Juarez existed and won the title with that team and was really somebody that was an integral part in making sure that that happened. And then to see this second and just be so lackluster, I think, was pretty disappointing for a lot of fans who were happy to have him back. Yeah, I think I think what uh, what ultimately derailed him is, and, and he's, he's always had a lot of good things to say about the club, was that uh, he came in out of form and then immediately got injured um as soon as he came in and it it just never seemed like he really uh fit into what Gabriel Caballero was going to do and it was just you know you didn't really know where to where to play him just because uh you know if you played him at you know the left back right back positions that uh he had played sometimes uh Mm -hmm. you kind of had to discredit or, or not play Oliveira or Israel Jimenez but then if you wanted to play him more in an attacking position well now you're talking about uh Mauro Fernandez and Diego Roland, where, you know, those are undisputed starters. So I, I just think it was kind of a combination of not the right, not the right time for him to come, and him just having a lot of injuries. But I, I don't think it was something where he didn't want to be here. It just became a thing where he realized he wasn't going to play here. But he's always talked really well about the team and and the front office, and I just think it wasn't the right time for him to be here. No, it's. it's... 
really unfortunate because he's a player who I thought was bound for Europe. And then that move to Chivas several years ago just sort of derailed his entire career to the point yeah. where now he's basically just bouncing around on loan deals back to his former clubs. And I think that that's really unfortunate for someone like him who was a really solid player. Yeah, most definitely. Most definitely. Yeah, it's, it's a shame, but, uh, you know, we wish him the best in Santos because uh, he obviously has a, uh, a soft spot in our heart since he was here that first year that we won the championship. And then, so continuing with that interview that Guillermo Cantu gave, he, one of the things that he talked about was that some of the new signings are training with the team already, while others are waiting for medical exam results, uh, COVID-19 results, and also some were working out the final details of their contracts. So I think that that was something that excited a lot of people, but at the same time was a really vague statement because it was just some of the new signings. It wasn't really any details into who those signings were and what exactly is going on. But I yeah. think that... Yeah, and, and, and Cantu kind of alluded to that, that they'll... Uh that they'll be announcing in the coming weeks, um, those new signings. I think we can confirm that as of right now, I think it's uh, the goalkeeper, Felipe Lopez, and uh, Eric Castillo from uh, Santos, who are actually in the city and training with the team. Uh, other than that, uh, I think the rest of the players, it's just a, it's just a matter of time before they you know, uh, uh, incorporate themselves into the, into the training sessions and, and into the club, and then finally it being made official. I think there's at least one other signing who's in the city. Magnon, is it, I think? Oh, true, Who's true, an attacking true. player? Yeah, Victor Magnon. Yeah, 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 you're right. I think those are the only three that so far are confirmed and have been spotted in the city and are probably training with the club right now. Um, continuing on with that interview, another piece of information that he gave out was that in the coming days, COVID-19 test results will be announced. And so in an interview with a local, with another local Juarez outlet, Cantu uh, mentioned that they had sent the test to the league. And so we should be hearing an announcement on the results of that fairly soon. Okay. That's great news there. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Hopefully nobody has it so that uh, things can start going back to normal in the world of sports because I'm going crazy over here with... Uh, Little Liga Amekis, with little to no Liga Amekis, but you know. Yeah, we all are, we all are. <laughs> uh, another really interesting thing that was mentioned in the interview was that the new jerseys will be presented in about two to three weeks. So in the coming days, we should see some pretty interesting new kits. I guess that's exciting for everybody. Yeah, I'm I, just, think, uh, uh, I think Antu mentioned that, that uh, they'll be doing like announcements on social media, like in the lead up. But, you know, how we started out this podcast, who knows what, the, what that <laughs> might mean. I don't know. It'll probably be something along the lines of what some of the better social media savvy teams have been doing. Some emojis, something that kind of alludes to something. I don't know. Honestly, if we get anything in the lead up prior to, prior to today's the day we're announcing the jersey, I'd be shocked. Pleasant, or put it this way, <laughs> pleasantly surprised if we get anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, pleas yeah pleasantly surprised is a better <laughs> way of saying it. Um, but yeah, that's, that's something to look forward to in the next coming weeks. I, I don't think we'll, I think we'll see it. We'll see the new jerseys for mm -hmm. the Apertura, but I don't think we'll see them for the Copa Telcel. No, I, I don't think we will either. I think we'll still be using the last season's jerseys. And then finally, the last really interesting piece of information that was given about the, in that interview from Cantu was that the club is looking at different ways to compensate Bravo card holders 
for the remaining home games that were canceled due to COVID-19 and then the games for this upcoming season that will be without fans as a result of COVID-19. And I think that that's something that's going to be a pretty significant issue for Los Bravos in terms financially. It could be a significant issue because they sold Bravo cards for two years. So essentially season tickets for two years. And I think it was something crazy, like 75% of the total stadium capacity were people that had purchased Bravo cards for the full two years. And so obviously without games, you're not getting what you, without being able to attend games, you're not getting what you paid for. So I'm not really sure what that's going to look like, but apparently the club has been in analyzing different ways to compensate the fans for that. Because yeah. I don't think that there's any real way that you're going to see that money come back because it's probably already been spent on expenses that come with running a professional sports team. Yeah, most I think it's definitely something that they'll have to uh, um, debate internally. It'll be interesting to see. I think they'll probably take the they'll probably look for you know another top flight team and see what they did, and then kind of try to take a version of that. I just I just haven't read any news on what other teams in Mexico have done to repay that. But as you said, you know most of the stadium is Bravo card holders. Uh, me personally, I am one too, so I'm slightly interested to see what it is they do as well. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they decide to do. Uh, I just I, I can't really kind of brainstorm because there's a lot of uh, uh, avenues that that they could go for. But I think obviously, like you said, it's it's uh, it's going to be a lot of money. But obviously, that money that's been paid for by Bravocat holders is probably what's keeping the team afloat right now. So uh, it'll be a give and take, and it'll be interesting to see what it is they decide to do. I think it's something that we probably shouldn't expect a decision on uh, soon. I think it'll be something as as this COVID pandemic uh, hopefully starts coming to an end that maybe, I mean, my, my guess would be maybe they look to extend Bravo cards uh, into later seasons, and then that way you can still get all the games you paid for, you know? I think that's probably going to be the most likely scenario. But I, as far as anything that I've heard, FC Juarez is one of the few teams that has actually taken proactive steps on this issue as opposed to just sort of leaving, it, leaving fans to wonder because I haven't heard any statements from sporting directors or any other clubs throughout Mexico as to what exactly is going to happen with season ticket holders. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean... Definitely, uh, I think it's good that they're taking a proactive approach. And um, I know some teams have kind of done a little, like, percent paying back percentages or stuff like that. But uh, I don't I don't see Juarez doing that just because I can just see them kind of extending the, the Bravo card and, and making sure you get all those games. And, and then after that, then you can renew and do all of that. But that that's, that's talk for the future for when all this mm-hmm. COVID things dies down and everything. But... Uh, is, is that all for the interview that, that Cantu had? Yeah, that was basically everything that Cantu talked about that was relevant or that was something that people would be interested in hearing about. Okay, and I, so with that, we'll uh, talk about the last sort of uh, issue, that, or not the issue, topic that we have at hand. And now we finally get to some soccer, to some real uh, football talk uh, that we haven't had in a while, thank God. Uh, and, and we're, and we're going to talk about the, the Copa del Cel. Uh, so it's slated to, to be July 14th and, and the 17th, correct? Yeah, as from what I've seen, it is July 14th through the 17th. 
And Los Bravos open up the tournament against Host Leon with yeah, that should on be Friday, July fourteenth. That should be a good one. Um, so we're gonna just kind of kind of preview. So uh, the team barely started this last week, uh, finally playing inter squad scrimmages and getting their feet under them. And so far, the the tentative starting eleven is uh, goalkeeper Ivan Vasquez Mellado. No surprise there. Uh, and then the back line is Maxi Oliveira. Bruno Romo, uh, Victor Velasquez, and Jose Rodriguez. Um, it's it's a backline. Maybe uh, maybe Oliveira, Romo, and Velasquez we've seen in the past, and Rodriguez um, has has played there maybe one or two times and actually started. But I'm definitely surprised by the inclusion of Rodriguez. I thought we would see maybe uh, Luis Lopez play that left back role just because he is mm-hmm. kind of flexible and able to play that position. But uh, then we move into the midfield where we have Flavio. Uh, Jefferson Intriago and Martin Rabunyal, um, with the injury of uh, Joaquin Esquivel, you see uh, Rabunyal step up, and it's something that he did uh, this previous season. And I think that uh, you know maybe there's a little drop off in quality, but I definitely like what Rabunyal brings to the team. And then in the front three, we have uh, Rayo Fernandez, uh, Dario Lescano, and uh, Brian Rubio. Uh, so let, let's just get into a little bit of a debate on the starting 11. Uh, Zach, what do you got for me? I don't know. I think for me, one of the things that uh, stands out the most is how William Andieta is, hasn't really been included in that starting 11. And I know that he didn't exactly have one of the most, ex- one of the better first seasons with Raos, but for the amount for the t- for the quality of player he is, for how well how beloved he is back at Olympia in Paraguay, and for everything that I've seen, he's a quality player. So I'm kind of surprised to see that uh, he still hasn't been given the trust to be included in that midfield role when he was supposed yeah. to be brought in as one of those fichajes bombas. Yeah, I think I think with him, uh, you know how we had you know when he first got signed, he took a while to show up to training. Mm-hmm. So I think I, hopefully we see a better version of him this 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 uh, season, just because he's been with the team the whole preseason training. Uh, I I definitely think that's a factor to uh, to consider. Um, you know he's still a he's he's a Bravos player, so we wish the best. But um, it's not it's not hating to say that he had a lackluster uh, first season. But uh, I think right now Caballero's going with what he knows has worked, but. We've seen Caballero likes Mendieta and likes mm-hmm. to play him, uh, likes to start him sometimes. So I think it's just one of those things that you know, hopefully, with him having a full preseason with the team and and just seeing how he plays in these two uh, preparation games, uh, just kind of see how it is he fares out. But definitely one of those players that he he'll now be wearing the the number ten jersey number for 10, five, yeah. and and it'll be interesting to see just how uh, how well he fits into that role and and hopefully he. He shows us what he did at Olympia, and 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 really, uh, really kind of uh, justifies him being the the main the signing for the Clausura. Yeah. yeah, and being the number ten. Yeah, I I think for me the thing that stands out more more so than even that is the importance of the signing of Rabunyal, who was brought in sort of to back up Esquivel due to some concerns about his injury, about previous injuries, and. Sure enough, he's been injured again. So now I think it's time to see Rabunyal step up and see exactly why he was signed. And I think that that's something that's exciting and to keep an eye on. Because yeah. I think he's he's only on loan with the team, right? 
Yeah, well, um, before the first season and, and during the whole first season, mm-hmm. um, the main sticking point was that pretty much all of the loans or most of the loans that Juarez has are with an option to buy. And I think that's the case for Rabunyal. So uh, just with how well he played that first season, coming in as a sub and starting some games, exactly. I definitely see, um, and I mentioned it in the positional breakdown uh, podcast, that Rabunyal is, is going to be the... You know the the heir to the throne of uh, of Intriago. Uh, once once Intriago leaves, so I definitely see Rabonyan as one of those promising players. He is, I think we'll have him in Juarez for for a while uh, since he is fairly young. Uh, but it's good to see him starting games. Obviously, he's he's really good depth uh, behind Esquivel, just in case you know like like what has happened that Esquivel got injured. But I really like his inclusion. I like the way he plays. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I think uh, he kind of serves that same role as Intiago because as we've seen, uh, when Intiago and Rabunyal play together, uh, Rabunyal kind of fills that role that Intiago usually plays when Intiago and Esquivel play together, where Rabunyal is the one who comes down more uh, to get the pass from the center backs, and Intiago is given more liberty to to be more attacking in that uh, in the opposition's uh, field of play. Yeah, where, which definitely makes them a more dynamic squad overall. Exactly, exactly. And with Intriago and Esquivel play, it's kind of Intriago that has to take that role of going all the way back and starting play and Esquivel having that uh that liberty. So I think it'll I think when we when we let Intriago play uh more offensively, good things happen. Um, I completely agree with you on that. So so it'll be interesting to see how they how they play against a Leon team that, that is really, really, really solid and really good with this lineup. Uh, of course, we said it's a tentative starting 11, but it's what uh, Caballero has kind of... In training, yeah, yeah it's, it's what Caballero has gone with in training. But, uh, yeah, any other surprises you got there? Well, I think I'm just excited to see Brian Rubio, see, see what he's got, what he's made of, and if he yeah. can really cut it at a Liga MX level. I know that he did pretty well when he was in on loan in Costa Rica. And I think to just see if he's really got what it takes to be a first division player in Mexico. I think that this is his time to sort of cement his place in the lineup, you could say. Because there's all the uncertainty about Diego Roland, whether or not he'll sign. And so, as a player who is a backup, now's your chance. Let's see what he's made of. I, I definitely think Rubio is... Uh is a top flight player uh, in, in the attacker's position breakdown. I mentioned that, that in my opinion, I think he's, um, he's Lescano's replacement just mm-hmm. because he is a, he's a natural nine. And in the cup matches that we saw him play, I mean, I mean, he's good. I mean, he's got good size, good size. He's fast, good with both feet. Um, obviously he's no Lescano, but he's a, he's a young player. Um, and it'll be interesting to see just how he fits into this lineup. Um, the way I see it is that it'll be, it'll, it looks like it'll be the regular 4 2 3 1, mm-hmm. um, with Intriago and Rabunyal being those last two. Uh, I do see uh, Flavio and Rubio uh, bl- being interchangeable, how it usually was with, or, or how that's usually the, cl- the case with uh, Flavio Rayo and Roland during the season, where uh, sometimes uh, Flavio Santos will drift out and then Roland will play behind Lascano or sometimes Rayo. It's very interchangeable. Um, I think for, for this starting 11 that we're looking at, it'll be Rubio playing behind Lascano and Flavio playing the wing. 
and then they'll kind of be interchanging. But as you said, it's a great opportunity for Rovio. I'm definitely convinced of him as as a Liga MX striker. Now it's just time to see the consistency and and see how he uh, how he plays in this tournament and how he plays during the season. You know, with how you said all the uncertainty about uh, Roland and, and all that may happen there. I mean, I've just felt like from what I've seen of him. I wasn't entirely convinced. While he shows glimpses of having quality and being a good player, I think that now is is the opportunity to see not only necessarily whether or not he belongs in the first division, but whether or not he can fit this squad and if he's someone going forward that Los Bravos will want to include in the team. Because I'm pretty sure that his loan also has an option to buy from Tigres. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, most definitely. You're right. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely kind of making my predictions based on the glimpses mm-hmm. just because those glimpses were... We're really good. Yeah. We're really good. Um, but, uh, yes, yeah, so that's that's kind of like what the... It'll be interesting to see how Juarez uh, fares up against Leon just coming off uh, this break. Uh, I hope they announce some of the signings and we can see them play against Leon just because it'll be interesting to see how they uh, mix in because my my, uh, my guess is we'll see a lot of mm-hmm. subs during these... Uh, during sure. these uh, preparation matches, so it'll be nice to see those those new players kind of uh, mix in to uh, what the club has to bring in the playing style. Um, but I'm, I'm excited, man. I'm ready. I'm ready for next week to come. I, I, I miss I miss watching Juarez play. I, I'm just ready for football to be back. I'm ready for matches. I'm ready for. I mean, just. I, I think another thing that's interesting, since I've been watching La Copa por México, just because it's Liga Mekis and, you know, we're all dying for sports. Exactly. I'm interested to see how the quality of, of play is across all the teams that are participating in this tournament. Because if you watch that Tigres-Mazatlan game, oh, my oh good God, the, the level of quality there was horrendous. Kinyak could barely get his first touchdown. It was all over the place. Nobody really looked... Like they were on form, except for Nahuel Guzman. Yeah, I think it's a matter of, uh, you know, how in any sport or any profession of uh, getting getting into the rhythm yeah. of it. Um, and I think that that's something that I don't even know. I feel like that's more of what these tournaments are going to be serving for as opposed oh, yeah. to looking at new players or seeing how they might fit in. Yeah. If that happens, great. If not, I think it's more of just a concern of whether or not the players are physically fit and getting some game time under their feet again. Because yeah. three months is a long time to go from being at the top level of your sport to basically unable to do anything with teammates and having to Zoom call into your workouts. Yeah, no. Oh, most definitely. I think that's definitely what these matches are for. I mean, even if even if there wasn't a Copa por Mexico or, or a Copa Telcel, I definitely think there would have been maybe four or five uh, preseason matches between clubs just because uh, once you get into the season, you don't want to have to deal with injuries and and uh, and stuff like that. I mean, Guillermo Cantu said yesterday with the with the with the news station in, in Juarez that you don't you don't want to see what happened in the German top flight where they trained for two weeks and went straight into league play and you get a lot of injuries. You kind of want to see that uh, progressive buildup, and that's what mm-hmm. they're trying to do with with these uh, with these cups with these and, matches. Yeah, and you're definitely right. It'll it'll be tough soccer to watch, but nonetheless, it's Liga MX soccer to watch, and we'll watch it. I mean, by, get, getting back to your point about some of the new signings debuting, hopefully we'll get to see some of the, the younger Mexican players that have been linked with the team, because that's an exciting um, turn in the direction of where the where, where the squad's been heading. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean the 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 San Antonio Spurs of the Liga MX making a lot of smart, smart, uh, low risk, high high ceiling uh, buys. So I really like it. I hope we see them. Uh, I feel like I feel like we will see them. Hopefully they get confirmed in the coming weeks and 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 they're able to play. But I think it'll be a good uh, it'll be good to see them, especially you know some of those players who who uh, a little bit more speedy and and on the wings like a like a Daniel Amador or, or something like that. Um, I think it'll be good to see that. You know, you're right on the money there, and and uh, I think it's an interesting uh, philosophy. And now it's a smart one that you don't really see a lot in Liga MX, where we're kind of loading up on young Mexican talent. But like I said, it's it's low risk, uh, high ceiling acquisitions. So it's uh, something to be excited about, you know, because it's you're seeing the team uh, being being ran the right way. And I think that's exactly what Cantu was brought in. And I think it's, it's made a big difference. <laughs> oh, huge difference. Huge difference. Um, I think he's going to really uh, shape this club. Uh, I think in, in difference to other clubs that he's, he's joined as an uh, executive, just because this one is so new and starting off in Liga MX, you know, fairly young. Uh, and he even mentioned it when he first got, uh, when he first got uh, signed and hired that what what's so appealing about this job is that you're starting from zero so every every view he has on the on the team is or every every plan or goal that he wants to do is is starting from scratch so i think in a couple of years we'll be able to see just just how well he did and and just how the team was built and and constructed and and how we're doing and and i don't know about you but i have all trust in cantu uh, guillermo cantu take the wheel and take us home couldn't agree more. Just based on everything that we've seen and how we've been run up to this point, I think that uh, Bravos are in good hands. Most definitely. And uh, so I think with that, we'll uh, finish off a uh, fairly longer podcast uh, for you guys. But I feel like I uh, had a good guest. So we, we, we touched on a lot of subjects. Uh, we'll, I think uh, we did a really good preview of uh, the Copa del Cel. So uh, we'll watch those matches. And then uh, I think I'll have a podcast of afterwards. Uh, on both matches and uh, I think we'll be set to go Zach uh, your social media and and all of that where we can find you and, and anything else you want to say any any goodbye messages well first off I just want to thank you for having me on here and uh, to let everybody know that they can find me at at Fronteriza Food on Twitter and uh, that's where I'm talking about all things FC Juarez all right well go give the man a follow uh, go ahead and go uh, follow uh, me, me as well and Caballo Suarez capital C capital J uh, like and retweet the tweet when I uh, post the, the, the episode uh, listen in get your friends on it let's get that uh, let's get Los Caballos del Norte uh, more famous in the in the El Paso region for <laughs> English English based Liga MX content and uh, thank you guys Arriba Juarez